Father's Day, and I want to begin with uh, things you should never say to a mum. Things you should never say to a mum. Number one, are you going to try for a girl now? Two, is your baby sleeping through the night yet? How about this one? You aren't breastfeeding, or you're still breastfeeding? You let your kids sleep in the bed with you? So you've gone back to work already? Or you mean you haven't gone back to work yet? How about this one? What do you do all day? It must be nice to be able to stay at home and not work. And of course, probably the most insensitive thing, you look tired. Of course they look tired, because they are. Um, yeah, they're fairly uh, offensive, and uh, if you've been caught out saying a few of those things, you're not alone. Well, Jesus was famous, wasn't he, for saying things that offended those around him, especially his culture. Among the most offensive would have been part of that, those verses we read from uh, Matthew chapter 10. So you can follow on the outline, they're in, they're in there, but just look at these words again. Matthew 10, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Or have a look at Luke's version. It's even worse. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, even in Western culture, that's shocking. But those of us from ethnic or especially Asian cultures, you get why this would have been so offensive. But then if you go to Jesus' culture and those days, 2,000 years ago, you should times that offense by about 1,000. Because in Jesus' culture, your family is your life. That's not exaggerating. That's why in the Luke passage, he says, hating your family is basically hating your life. Because your identity, your security is all rooted in your family. See, if you ask the questions to the people in Jesus' day, what is the meaning of your life? What makes you happy? What do you want to achieve? It's all tied in with family. So today on Mother's Day... We're going to let Jesus' offensive words offend us, but then hopefully challenge us, and then hopefully also change us. Why don't we pray, and let's get into this. Father God, we pray that on Mother's Day, as we think about families, whether families, uh, our own families bring us joy or whether they bring us pain, we pray that we might hear Jesus' words beyond the offense and see what you offer that's even better. We pray this in his name. Amen. So a couple of points there only. Uh, first, Jesus before family. Okay. The plain and simple message um, is, is this, right? Following Jesus means putting him first. So absolutely and so completely first that even the people and things closest to you come a very, very distant second. That's the basic message, what he's saying. Um, in, in the Jewish way of speaking, hate is what they would use. Now, hate there is not literal. It's exaggerating, obviously, for effect. Well, what it means that Jesus means by hating your mother and father is that compared to everything, comparing everything to what you love and prize the most, everything else, by comparison, is going to seem like hate. All right? It's, that's what he means. And this is especially when it comes to following Jesus, especially when following Jesus is something that the people that you are closest to, the people who form your life and your identity, they don't want that for you. To them, what you will give up for Jesus may very well be interpreted as offensive and hateful, and so offensive and hateful, it 
looks like hate. Now, you need to know, of course, this is true of many people who come to Jesus. In some countries, honor killings happen, right? Your own family members can kill you rightly and justly in that society if you become a Christian. Closer to home, I know people who've been disowned by their families for becoming Christians. Uh, People here at SWEC, I know, who have kept their faith or their church attendance secret and hidden from their parents. I know adult children who are kicked out of home for wanting to go into full-time ministry. Right, All of these cases, their families would all interpret what they've done for Jesus as hate for the family. Now, for most of us, it's obviously not so drastic. But I think it is important to recognize how easy it is for the rest of us to make the good blessing of family into an idol. And Pastor Marshall spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. An idol is anything that is a God or Jesus replacement. So if you're married with kids or maybe with grandkids, you know what this means, right? Jesus must come first before your kids' success and happiness. Jesus must come first before your work and career, which I know is to provide for your family, but Jesus still must come first. He must come first before your family's weekend plans and travel plans and leisure plans. He must come first before your retirement plans with your spouse, as good as they might be. Now, for those who are single, especially if you're an adult, it may help you to know that there is a difference between honoring your parents and obeying them. Have you heard this before? It's actually really important. There is a difference between honor your parents and obeying your parents if you're a single adult child or even if you're married. Let me simplify for you uh, because it may sound a little bit surprising. Uh, The first things first, if you are a dependent child... Okay, the Bible's pretty clear in all these passages about households that God wants you, children, dependent children, to honor your parents by obeying them in pretty much everything. Okay, so dependent children, there is no great difference between honoring your parents and obeying your parents. God wants you to obey your parents in pretty much everything unless they are asking you to do something that disobeys God. Okay, that should be pretty obvious. But here's the thing. If you are an independent adult... And obviously, you're still the child of someone, but you're an independent adult. Guess what? Honoring your parents does not mean you have to obey them in everything. You got that? I know that might sound shocking to you, right? But the Bible makes a distinction. Everyone is to honor their parents, but not everyone needs to obey their parents in everything, especially because you are now an adult, Because guess what? It brings very little honor to your parents if you don't act like an adult and you aren't empowered to make your own decisions. I mean, no parent of a 30-year-old is honored if that 30-year-old can't do anything without checking with mummy. You don't look very good as a parent if that's your 30-year-old son or daughter. But see, a lot of you are in that kind of, well, I'm over 18, so I'm legally an adult, but I'm living at home and I'm largely dependent on my parents, so what do I do there? Well, that's, 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 that's a tricky gray area. Uh, but maybe this is an encouragement to, for you to work hard at honoring them by becoming more independent. Okay, I know it's easy just to sponge off your parents for life, but work at honoring them by becoming independent. Uh, 
That, it's not just finances, okay? It's not just living out of home because, quite frankly, who can afford to live out of home in Sydney nowadays, right? But I mean this, finish your studies, right? Finish uni or studies, whatever it is. Go get a job. Learn to drive. Learn to cook. Learn to do your own laundry. Move out or, again, in Sydney it's hard, financially contribute to living at home. That are good indications that you've become financially and personally independent. All right? And that is honoring to your parents. And once you're at that stage, you understand that honoring your parents does not mean I need to obey them in everything. And so that's really helpful if, especially your parents are not followers of Jesus or are really pressing hard for you to do things that you think is not honoring to Jesus. You don't have to obey them in everything to honor them if you are in that category, if you're an adult child. But the point is this, Jesus must come first before family, however it is it works out for your family. And it's supposed to be uncomfortable, okay? If you're like, oh, yeah, I'm really, yeah, it's supposed to be uncomfortable. If it doesn't hurt at some point, then we probably haven't grasped how radical and offensive Jesus' words are supposed to be. And of course, the question is why, right? I mean, our biological families are such a part of our lives. They are God's gift to us. They are. So why would Jesus ask his disciples, all of us, his followers, to give up those things, our families? Well, the main reason I'll come to the next point, and that is that Jesus will give you back something even better. But now, remember though, remember this is idolatry that is when you replace Jesus with something. And idolatry is at the heart a disordered love. You got that? A disordered love. That, is, that means blessings are good things, and they're the ones that become idols. Right? Good things become God things. Right? It's not that they're not good. It's not that God doesn't want us to have them. They're gifts from God, but they just don't belong in first place, in that if they're in first place, they're disordered. And that's why idolatry is disordered love. So think about this. When I let go of idols, I'm actually reordering my loves. And that's a good thing. When I let go of idols, I'm actually freed up to enjoy these blessings properly in their proper place. They were never supposed to replace God, never supposed to be number one. So when family is ordered rightly so that it's no longer an idol... Guess what? That's actually not just good for us in our relationship with God. It's actually good for them, their families, our families, even if they don't see it. All right, now I'll give you an example in my home. For my kids, um, we keep church times on Sundays free from sport, tutoring, family outings, or even their friends' birthday parties. That's just always been the case. Now, they do complain, except about the tutoring thing. No one complains about not having tutoring, right? They do complain... But you see, for us, it's important as a family, and it's good for them to learn that Jesus does come first, and this is how we express it. Now, for some of you, learning to have boundaries as a grown-up son or daughter, i.e. saying no to your parents or your in-laws, guess what? That's not just good for you, that's good for them. Because codependency is not healthy. All right? And not having boundaries as an adult with your adult parents is not healthy or your in-laws. See, reordered loves is actually good for them. So that's another reason why God wants us to let go of the idolatry of family. Okay, but let's go to the next point. Because this is the main reason why Jesus asks so much. 
here's the principle. Um, anything Jesus asks of you to sacrifice, he will give back to you with interest. You got that? Anything he asks of you to sacrifice, he will give it back to you. He will give you not necessarily what you think, right? No, I gave up a, a, a used Mazda to Jesus. He's going to give me back a Ferrari. No, it doesn't work like that. But look what Jesus does say. He's going to give you back something even better, even more lasting. Look at Mark chapter 10. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. You see, Jesus is promising, even in this present age, if you give up your most precious things here, family especially, you will get it back with interest. See, what Jesus is promising, and this is my second point, is he's promising those who make their own biological families come second after Jesus, Jesus will give you back something better, and that is what? A new family. So look at Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. All right, see, Jesus brings all of his followers into a family far greater and even better than their biological families of origin. And so the rest of the sermon is going to flesh out and apply that, all right? Now, how do we apply that? Well, in some ways, the application is as simple as this. Love one another. But maybe going into a little more detail will help. How do we love one another? Let me talk about two things. Firstly, belonging, and then secondly, burdens. Being family means that you belong, not just to the family. I belong to the family. That's obvious, right? But here, even more wonderfully, you belong to each other. See, every Christian belongs to every other Christian. And I want to drum that home emotionally from the wise people at Marvel. So have a look at this clip. I love being with people. It's the most incredible thing in the world. What are you doing? Oh, this is nice. That world may change and evolve. But the one thing that will never change, we're all part of one big family. We are Groot. That man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. Higher, further, faster, baby. That's right. Part of one universe. Wakanda forever! That moves ever upward and onward to greater glory. 
on your left. Um, you know what, that's what Stan Lee, the late Stan Lee said in that clip, uh, is obviously about the fantasy world that Marvel draws you in and that's why it's so impacting, but it's fantasy for Marvel, but that's true for us. Pretty much everything he says is true for the family that you belong to if you're a follower of Jesus. Really, watch it again sometime. All right, the reason that happens that you actually become part of this greater family, this greater story that you and I belong to, we belong to each other. And the moment you become a Christian, you belong to that. Is because you belong to God when you become a Christian. You got that? You belong to God in a special way. When you become a Christian, God becomes your Father in heaven. The perfect Father who loves you, who is with you, who protects you, who will never abandon you. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I wonder if you know this wonderful belonging. That God offers to you through Jesus. And did you know that your search for identity and meaning, the answer to who am I and why am I here, it's answered right there. See, through Jesus, God answers the more important question. Even more important than who am I, why am I here? The more important question is, to whom do I belong? See, if you can answer that question, to whom do I belong, you will be able to answer the who am I and why am I here questions. And God's answer is, you know what? You belong to me. Look at this wonderful passage from Isaiah. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you. There's some people right here watching online. You need to hear this today. Maybe you've kind of wandered a bit far from God. Maybe you feel abandoned by everyone else. Maybe you feel all alone. Guess what God says to you? Do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. You belong to God. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus today, I plead with you, take up the offer, because you can belong to Him too. Come and chat to me afterwards. See, when you belong to God, then He is your Father, He is my Father, and this means that we are now family, we who belong to God. And if your biological family has been less than ideal, or maybe downright horrible, isn't this especially good news? It is, isn't it? Because that man next to you is your brother, that woman sitting beside you is your sister. Now, the implications of this... Look at Romans 12. In Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Okay, Belonging to each other as a family means that we are members of another metaphor, one body. I belong to you, you belong to me. My life isn't just about me, your life isn't just about you. We are interconnected like the parts of a body. I realize this when I frequently get gout. Matt Chong, you know how I feel. Um, my stomach, right? And what I eat is linked to my kidneys, which then hurts my feet. And when my feet hurt, the rest of my body screams out in pain. It's all linked. And societies that are family-based, 
are often honor-shame societies. You know what that means? That means one person's success brings honor to the whole family, but also the flip side, one person's shame brings shame to the whole family. Now, this is true of your spiritual family too. Uh, We know, and our world out there certainly knows very well, how one Christian's bad behavior brings shame to the whole church and to Christ as well. So obviously this is very true when it comes to sin. If you think no one else is hurt by my secret sin, then you don't really understand this, do you? You belong to me, I belong to you. Your secret sin hurts me. My secret sin hurts you. Do you need to bring something out to confession? To someone else, to God? It's also especially true when it comes to conflict. Okay, I know some of you are going through some conflict Unresolved conflict with someone, that person is your brother or sister. And this conflict left unresolved, it affects the whole family. And it grieves our Heavenly Father. But also the flip side is true, right? We belong to each other, and so what what do we do? Remember... Shame, sin, conflict that affects everyone, but also successes. When, we, when one of us succeeds, we celebrate the success of each other. Now, that's harder than it sounds, because our tendency when someone else succeeds is what? We get jealous, right? No, 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 we belong to each other. That person's success is my success. I rejoice with you, for you. When a brother or sister has what you do not have, a boyfriend, oh gosh, you would love a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, they started going out with someone, be happy for them, rejoice with them. If they have a marriage that you don't have, if they have babies, material things, success, a thriving church ministry, rejoice with them because they are family. When they succeed, you succeed. We belong to each other. Do you get that? So that's the first thing, belonging. Secondly, burdens. Look what Galatians 6 says. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. It also says mourn with those who mourn. That's, this is the flip side. Carrying each other's burdens means that we struggle together. Now, that's easier said than done as well. I'll give you two reasons why this is quite hard, carrying each other's burdens. Number one, most of us just don't want to trouble another. We don't want to trouble others, okay? We don't want to appear needy. We don't want to be a burden. But you know what? That's not how true family works, is it? Family works on the principle of troubling each other. Now, many of you, this means you need to start troubling your family, your spiritual family. You need to start sharing your burdens with us because we're waiting to help. Now, you think it's hard for you. Can I just tell you it's much harder for me? I'm a pastor. I'm your pastor. I feel terrible about burdening you when I'm supposed to help carry your burdens. Isn't that my job as a pastor? So much easier just not to share, not to... Now, recently, though, my family and I have, Karen and I especially, have chosen to share some of those things, especially with our CG, you guys know what I'm talking about, and my prayer triplet. And I've done that because I, I've realized I need you. We need you. 
to share our burdens. And it's been so good as I've shared this with my CG, with my prayer triplet, they've, they've given us prayer, practical love. We got a bunch of flowers from an anonymous, oh, it's not anonymous to us, I won't name the person. You know, in the middle of the week because Karen shared it with someone and we got flowers delivered to our, isn't that incredible? I burden each other. That's what it's supposed to be like. Trouble each other. Second reason why I think we don't want to do this is because you don't get to choose your family, all right? We all know that, right? You don't get to choose your family, whether it's biological or spiritual. See, church is not a club for friends who are exactly like you and the kind of people you want to be with, right? That's why, you know, by, by the way, when the Bible talks about hospitality, in the New Testament especially, the gift of hospitality or the blessing of hospitality, guess what? It means hospitality to complete strangers, right? It's welcoming the other. And you welcome the other because the other is a brother. There you go. I wax lyrical too. All right. So you don't, that's hard because you don't get to choose whose burdens you want to carry. Oh, yeah, I'd love to carry your burdens because I like you. No, no, no. This is the church family. You don't get to choose your brothers or sisters. And that's why it's hard to carry. You've got to carry someone's burdens. You may not even know them well. You may not even like them. You may not want to carry the burdens. And you certainly don't know how long this burden is going to be that you have to help carry. It will inconvenience you sometimes a lot and sometimes for a long time. But here's the thing, right? For those of us who come from relatively happy biological families, that's what we do for each other in my biological family, right? I may not see my sister very much. I, I do love her, by the way. But I may not see her very much. We may not get a lot of time to hang out. But if she needs something, I'll be there for her. And you would do that with your siblings too, right? If you've ever supported a family member through long-term illness, unemployment, mental health struggles, you do that for your biological family. Well, our Heavenly Father wants us to do that for each other. The writer and uh, former pastor Francis Chan told a story about a gang member when he was a uh, pastor of a church. A gang member at, uh, so this guy was part of a, a violent gang. Uh, he got saved, got, became a Christian, got baptized in the church. It was great. But then about a year later, kind of disappeared. And so one of his leaders noticed that and, and looked for him. And, and, and when he found him, asked, hey, what happened to you? You got baptized, you came to know Jesus, everything seemed well, why have you stopped coming? And this former gang member said, he said, I had the wrong idea about what I thought church would be. I thought church would be like family, a different kind of family. You see, when I was in the gangs, we hung out together, we watched each other's backs, we took care of each other, we committed to each other 24-7, not just two meetings a week. When I got here to church, it was like each one was on its own. There was just no reason for me to stick around at church. Now, Francis Chan said when he heard that, it broke his heart. It is heartbreaking, isn't it? Because the gang was better at being family than the church was at being family. Now, I recognize that some feel that about church, this church even. And it is painful. We've got to do better, right? We've got to do better. And we're never going to until we realize how much I need you and how much you need me, and how much we all need each other, because we belong to each other, and we carry each other's burdens. So let me apply it to different age groups that are among us. If you're uh, in high school, if you're a youth, or you're a young adult, 
You need your spiritual family, especially if you've come from a non-Christian home. You need your spiritual family. So find older brothers and sisters and spiritual mums and dads and get to know them. And the best way is firstly through community groups, but also just getting outside of your clique groups. Get to know them, learn from them, follow in their footsteps. Ask them, hey, will you teach me the Bible Will you read the Bible with me? Will you pray with me? Will you help me apply it in my life? You need them. You need us. And guess what? They, we need you too. If you're a youth or young adult, doesn't matter how young you are, your energy, your fresh perspectives, your enthusiasm, your passion, your talents, boy, do we need you. Singles, whether you're young or older, You need your spiritual family to be there for you, to support you, to befriend you, to love you. All right? So burden them. Share your burdens with us. And we need you too. Generally, as a single, you are freer with time and money than many others. Right? So don't be selfish with that extra time and money. Pour it out. For the rest of your church family. Those married with your own families and your own homes, whether you buy or bought or rent, doesn't matter, you have your own place to live in. You have a wider family and they need you. Right? Remember, there are singles and those without spiritual parents that you can especially invite into your life. Take the initiative to do that. Generally, they're going to be too polite to ask. So take the initiative to do that. Ask them into your family, into your home. Be a second family to them. I experienced that as a a high schooler, and, and I probably shared it with you previously. It just changed my life. Also, you need your wider family too, as a married, right, with your own families and houses. Marriage is hard, which is why we're doing the marriage refresh. By the way, Karen and I are running that. Um, and we hope you can come along if you've been married for two years or more. Sorry, for those who've been married two years or less, it's not we, we don't want to exclude you. It's just that it's probably still fresh in your mind, the kind of stuff that Karen and I led you through. Okay, so we want to give the chance for those who have been married two years or more. But marriage is hard. We need each other, right? You need your wider family. Raising kids is so challenging. I can tell you now that I and Karen, now that our kids are in high school, boy, I wish I had an opportunity to talk to more of you whose kids have grown up. You need people around you and older than you to help. You really do. What about if you're older, if you're becoming an empty nester, your kids are all grown up, they left the house. Maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you're near retirement. Well, here it is. Enjoy your grandkids. Enjoy your retirement or semi-retirement, but do not put them before your spiritual family. All right? This is a challenge to the older people because your spiritual family needs you. So much. We really need you. I mean, you might have retired or semi-retired, but you can certainly get busy now. You've got more time to get busy doing work that, believe me, will last into eternity for your spiritual family. So can I ask you to consider that? Can I ask you to take the initiative to befriend and disciple younger people? You might feel like, oh, you know, let the young people do everything. I'm kind of useless now. I've done it. No, 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 no. 
They need you. They might do a lot of the upfront ministries now that you used to do, but they need mentors like you. They need spiritual mums and dads. And generally, they're not going to come to you to ask as much as I would like them to. So you take the initiative and say, hey, young man, hey, young woman, I'd love to support you. I'd love to know how you're going with your ministries. Can we get together maybe once a month just to pray and read the Bible? Do you know how invaluable that will be to someone who's younger than you? You can do that. Do it. And guess what? You need us too. All right, here's here's my experience with people who are older. You will generally grow stale and inward looking and lazy and just a little bit grumpy in your Christian walk as you grow older. And unless you're constantly in fellowship and being challenged by younger people, right, that tends to happen. But for everyone here, you see the point I'm getting to? And guess what? As Australia gets more secular and society gets more fragmented, this family has something to offer those on the outside that they cannot get anywhere else. Like when a church is family... There is, there is an incredible missional and evangelistic power to it, isn't there? And more and more so in our current society, in our current culture. So be family and see how that attracts people from the outside. Because this is the stuff that they want and are looking for. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we pray that wherever we are on this journey of family, spiritual family, whether we have only just realized today that we have this spiritual family, we belong to each other, or whether we just need to see how much that needs to play out in the different areas in life that we have, different stages of life. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you can make Sweck that kind of family, the family that the gang member didn't discover at his church, but we pray that people will discover here. And we want to do this not because it benefits us, not because we want to put that first. We want to put you first, Jesus, but we know how much you you long for that kind of family, the very family you've blessed us with. So help us be that for your glory. Amen.